Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. My name is Daniel Trainer. I am the host of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, if you are listening on the day that this episode is released or the day after, happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble to you and yours. If you uh, happen to be listening after the fact, a little bit later, uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. My guest today is the legendary, dare we say, Kate Scott. So for those of you who might not know who Kate is, how dare you, first of all, but uh, to get you up to speed, Kate uh, is wonderful. She works for the Pac-12 Network currently, covering all things Pac-12 conference related as a host and play-by-play analyst. Kate does it all, and throughout her career, really has done it all. She started at KNBR, which is really the preeminent sports talk station up in the Bay Area where Kate is from. She went to Cal. She is a very proud Cal Bear. We we talk a lot about college sports in this episode, but really more fully, we talk about what it's like to be an openly gay woman in a newsroom and an openly gay woman who is an on-air personality, how she's been forced to deal with that throughout her career, and I think where she is now in her life The responsibility and the gratitude that she feels to be able to be that person for so many people because, you know, here we are, and Kate and I talk about this, we're at a time where still there really aren't that many figureheads for the LGBTQ community when it comes to sports broadcasting. So Kate is a legend in that way and has blazed many trails. She's very humble about it, and I think you'll you'll sort of really fall in love with her by the end of this interview because she's so smart and so knowledgeable and, and has such great perspective about where she is and why she is where she is, and I don't know that I know anybody who works harder. So it was an honor to get some of her time. I loved the conversation that we had. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You know, without any further ado, let's just get into it. Here's my one-on-one same team interview with Pac-12 Network's Kate Scott. I'm thrilled that we uh, are having the time to chat. Yeah, I'm excited that we're catching up right now too. This is uh, this is great. So, um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a bit of a curveball off the top, and it's it's uh, it's an interesting question that uh, I have an answer to, and I'm wondering if you do as well. Uh, can you think? Do you, do you have an early memory of of maybe it's a person or maybe it's a moment on sports television that you were watching? growing up and thinking to yourself for the first time, that is what I want to do. I want to be on TV covering sports. Do you have a memory of that? You know, I don't, I don't at all. Um, I was not one of those people who grew up from, you know, the age of five or six or seven or even 12 or 13 thinking that this was what I was going to do. Mm I, I, I didn't actually put things together until uh, Mr. Schmazel, who was my activities director in high school, um, I- until we were chatting outside of the office at Clovis High School one day in between classes, and uh, it must have been junior year of high school because I was starting to think about college, mm-hmm. and he asked what I wanted to do, and I said, well, I want to be a teacher because my mom's a teacher, a bunch of my friends want to be teachers, it just seems like a great way to impact the future. Um, and he said, well, obviously, I think that's a great idea since I work in education. 
But, uh, Kate, you play every sport. You are our morning announcement voice for sports. You're the PA announcer at all the sports you don't play. Like, <laughs> it just seems like the world is trying to tell you what to do. <laughs> and you right. haven't been listening. <laughs> so... I totally understand and support if you want to go into education. It is an incredible field and it gives me a ton of fulfillment, but maybe you should also think about some form of sports journalism or sports broadcasting. So literally it wasn't to that conversation that I, I still have a very vivid memory of that, but no, I mean, it all makes sense now, right? It's one of those retrospect things. Like yeah. why did I always wake up early before elementary school and want to watch Linda Cohn and Robert and Roberts on sports center? Why was I of so course. excited about those specific shows when it was airing multiple times throughout the day oh because they were women and because they look like me so i could relate to them but well, there yeah you, there you Other go i mean that, that's that's a great answer at the end i mean it's a great story and then a great answer watching sports center i think i mean i remember when i was in fifth grade i don't know why i remember this so vividly but in fifth grade the first day of school we had to fill out one of those like what is your favorite book what is your favorite movie what is your favorite tv show yeah. and i vividly remember yeah. my favorite tv show being sports center and yep. my my teacher, my teacher being very confused about what was going on and thinking, wow, that's a very sort of strange, <laughs> mature answer for this uh, for this ten year old kid. But man, Sports Center was like religion. Just every morning, every night, I was just obsessed. Yep, same here. It was, I mean, it was the jam back in the day. And I know a lot of people still watch it. I don't watch it. Um, with nearly the frequency that I yeah. did when we were fifth graders when I, when um, because I, it was, it yeah. was everything I watched in the morning, even if it was, cause it was usually the 30 second or the 30 minute segments right. that would repeat time after time. So I would usually catch at least two of those back to back. And then, yeah, one of the nighttime shows too. So <laughs> it was, it was my religion growing up. That's do for you, sure. Do you ever sit and wonder where you would be if that conversation hadn't happened with your counselor? I mean, do you think, you know, on that fateful day, if, if you hadn't been pushed in this direction, do you think you'd be, you know, in, in a classroom right now? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think I would be teaching or I think that uh, I might have gotten into the food and wine industry, which I oh. dabbled in a little bit when I was at Cal. Uh, I worked at a couple of restaurants. I worked at a winery just because I loved the fast pace of it. I loved the newness. Kind of like one of the reasons I enjoy doing play-by-play -play so much is because there's no script and it is new every single time. So it doesn't matter if you've seen a team 10 times already that season. It's a new game and it's live and anything can happen. And that was really what I loved about working in restaurants and the wine industry too because it might be the same product every day, but you were going to interact with someone new. Somebody was going to throw you some sort of curveball. Um, so I just love the pace and the people that I worked with and stuff. So, yeah, I think that or teaching, which. <laughs> well, that's really different. Who knows every what this thought would look like. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure to be ridiculous and making students roll their eyes all the time. Well, that's that's, sure. a, that's certainly different day to day, too. So you, you love the sort of uh, the sort of, you know, different stuff happening every day. I love the correlation between uh, working food and wine and play-by-play. -play. It's interesting because growing up, for a long time, I really wanted to be a play-by-play -play announcer, like for years. Oh, you did? Yeah, like that really was my dream. And I, I, I'm, I'm a sports guy all over, but mo hockey is my number one. And so I remember when I was a kid. Oh, man, like the hardest play-by-play -play there is. Well, I know that. I know. It's really tough. In and my I, opinion. I, I, I know plenty of people who call hockey say, oh, no, it's, the, it's not the hardest. 
Oh, but, but uh, I well, I, think I it is. it's so fast paced. It's so crazy. And I remember being in like sixth or seventh grade and I would like literally send emails to I'm from Detroit. And so I would send emails to like the Red Wings play by play guy being like, how do I be like you, sir? And been like, I was really dead set on it. And I remember I would watch Red Wings games in the basement of my family's house, turn the volume down. And then try and do play by play on my own as like practice. And that's like what I, for a while I was like really dead set on, on doing that professionally. And I don't, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure why that kind of, that kind of floated away. But I mean, why do you think other than the reasons you kind of just listed, are you so passionate about, about doing play by play? Because I know how much you love doing that. And the fact that you're getting the the chance to do that more and more now at PAC 12, why do you love it so much? Yeah. And that's such a cool story. And it makes a lot of sense. Hockey fan growing up in Detroit, the Red Wings were pretty decent when you and I were growing up. Well, that's for sure. God, let me tell you the luck that I had. I mean, just as a being a diehard Wings fan, it's tough right now, Kate, let me tell you. But it's, I think that's the no, that's, come, back. come on. Oh, for sure. No, for sure. But it's it's the price I have to pay for just, you know, my quite literally my entire life. They were they were in the playoffs up until a few years ago. So I was I was very lucky. Yeah, such a good childhood. Yeah. Um, but why play? Why by do play? I love play by play? I think it's because, well, uh, as I mentioned, the unpredictability of it, I love. Um, I have always been uh, uh, a person who I don't. I always say gets bored easily, but I don't know if that's the right kind of phrase because I'm rarely bored. But I think uh, I've never been one for routine. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll say that. And that's one of the reasons I love just working at the Pac-12 in general is because they let me do not only play-by-play, but reporting and anchoring and hosting like so many different things. And that was why for a number of years I did TV and radio together until I just couldn't physically do it anymore. It was so exhausting. But to get back to your question, um, I love the unpredictability of it. I, I love that as a former athlete, it's been a long time since <laughs> I was a, a competitive athlete, but I did play four sports in high school, so that was, sports were my life forever. It was practice, training, it was getting good grades because I wanted to, obviously, but but because I had my sights set on hopefully being a collegiate student athlete, um, wrecked my knee and that didn't happen. But this now, what I get to do as a play-by-play announcer is the closest uh, that I can be to being a part of something like a game or a match without actually being a part of that program because yeah. I, st- I still get to go to practices. I get to have conference calls with the coaches and really get get inside their minds, right? Get the inside scoop why you're playing this player. How come you match up better against this team than that team? And then just getting, as you were just talking about with your dream in the Red Wings growing up, I mean, getting to be the voice of hopefully a number of great moments over the years and getting to play a small role in somebody's sports memory. Um, those are the things that I love about play by play and also the teamwork. It is like being on a team all over again. Yeah, and yeah. I was always, you know, the point guard and the center midfielder and all, all the kind of quarterbacking positions in all the sports I played and play by play is the same thing. I mean, in TV, the analyst is the one who shines, but if I'm doing my job, I'm setting them up to shine and the producer's talking to me and telling us when to get in and out of breaks. And, um, so it's, it's as close to that feeling again, um, as I've been able to find so far. Uh, see, that all makes sense. That's beautiful. I love that. So, you know, from, from the time that conversation happens in high school until how old were you when you started at KMBR? You were pretty young, right? 
I was pretty young. Yeah, mid twenties. Well, that's. Uh, I, I mean, that's crazy. Five six years after I graduated from Cal, so probably twenty six, twenty seven, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fairly meteoric rise for somebody who really had no intentions of doing this until a conversation senior year of high school, right? I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable that you were able to sort of flip on a dime and realize how passionate and, and then also how good you were at doing this. You know, those early days, you know, working at KMBR must have just been, for somebody who grew up in the area, so exciting. But, but God, I mean, I, I can only imagine a little terrifying as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all about wrapped into... Uh... One, because it was incredible, because as you mentioned, I grew up a Giants and a 49ers and a Warriors fan, which uh, they, that was the flagship station. So I grew up listening to KNBR. So to get to work so early in my career at the station that was the station for me growing up um, was mind blowing. But there was a lot that came with that, because as you mentioned, I was way younger than everybody I was working with. I was the first female that they'd hired full-time at the station. Um, they had had some on-air female voices in the past, uh, but they were contracted out through the company that I worked for before KNBR, Metro Traffic. I was a traffic reporter. Ooh, um, I didn't know but, that. Uh, so I was really young. I was a woman, which a, a lot of guys didn't and still don't want on their sports talk radio. Mm -hmm. um, and then about a month after I started working there, I came out on air. So <laughs> it was kind of, <laughs> I joked that it was three strikes against me real quick. So the first six months um, were awesome, but as you mentioned, terrifying and overwhelming. And there were definitely some times where I went into the program director's office, Lee Hammer, and said, I don't know if I'm right for this. I don't know if this is going to work for both of us. It just seems like everybody hates me because I was, as I've learned now, paying way too much attention to social media. <laughs> um, and, and thankfully he and, and Jen Violet, his, uh, assistant program director who played her woman card as she jokes with me, um, to help get me the gig. Uh, they both talked me down and said, no, we know that it's overwhelming right now. We know you're getting a lot of blowback, but we hired you for a reason. We know that you can do this. Uh, your coworkers love you and think you're doing great. And those conversations really helped and then settled in and got to spend six awesome years there with uh, kind of like the Red Wings, right? So many championships. Yeah, couple, man, what a time to be there. World Series and the Warriors. I was there for the Warriors' first uh, NBA title, which was, I mean, incredible after 40 years of waiting. And the yeah. 49ers were awesome. And it was just it was a wild, fun time to be uh, at KMBR, that's for sure. See, it, it's so important, like you said, to have those allies in your corner at a place like that, right? And I, I think, you know, I, I've worked in sports media and sports TV a little bit, certainly not to the extent that you have, but in my time when I was doing it, um, it's tough. And it's, it, it is, you know, as you know, more than anybody else, a primarily uh, male-dominated uh, and uh, straight male-dominated and white male, white straight male-dominated yep. yeah. field. And if and that can be tough, especially, I think, for a young person who is different. Certainly it was for me as a gay man working at, you know, at a regional network. I mean, I had, you know, people would call me, my bosses would call me names and whether or not they thought that that was funny I certainly yeah. didn't you know and and it was it, it was a pretty treacherous place to be and so you know it, it, it's not fun obviously to be different and and I think 
made much more difficult for you by being a woman in this, especially sort of sports talk radio world that I'm sure you can speak to being very, uh, very sort of hetero and very sort of aggro and aggressive. Just to, <laughs> just to have those allies in your corner, I think, is so important and why, you know, moving forward, it, it is so crucial to have, you know, these allies, you know, whether they be LGBTQ community or not at these prominent levels, because it just breeds sort of progress and diversity in, in so many important ways. A hundred percent. And that was something that we talked about, um, especially because of, and I'm sure that, you know, it would have mattered at any point in sports history. Um, but there was a lot of really major sports stories that happened while I was at KNBR. Um, you know, the horrific Penn State football scandal happened. Um, Michael Sam coming out, right? And sure. being the first gay football player selected. Uh, the Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. So there were so many um, massive, at least what felt like it at the time, um, conversations that that were being had on sports radio that were about way more than just sports. And uh, it, it was great because even my, as you were mentioning, white, straight, uh, you know, 40, 50, 60 something male coworkers, um, even if we would disagree on air, they would continually tell me off air, like, this is great radio. The fact that mm -hmm. we have you and just because of who you are and what you've experienced, have a different opinion. You are speaking to so many of our listeners who disagree with us. So you're giving them a voice. So keep doing it as much as you feel comfortable. Keep disagreeing because it's making for great radio. So things like that um, just helped with, you know, in addition to the success of the actual sports teams, getting to have conversations like that and provide uh, from time to time a voice for people who might not often feel represented by sports radio. That was that was some of my uh, favorite moments as well. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's huge. I mean, I, I, I won't make you tell the whole story because I, I've heard it before and I've heard you tell it on another podcast before, but it's such it's such a wonderful story, the way that you were sort of outed on live radio and not even <laughs> not even not maliciously. I don't think I think you would you would agree that it was not done with any sort of malice, but it was certainly very sudden. Yeah, um, yeah. How how did you deal with the aftermath of that? Because I think, you know, I talked to so many people on this podcast about their coming out stories. And for so many people, it is a process. It takes time. There is so much agonizing. There is so much planning. There is so much. All right. This is D-Day. The, the Facebook post is going up. The Instagram post <laughs> is going up. The tweet is going out for you. Quite literally, it's instantaneous. You're shoved into this world. How did you deal with with the days after that? Uh, you know your world, I can only imagine, was completely flipped upside down. It was a little crazy for a few days. Um, so yeah, Dan's referring to the fact that I was already out in my personal life and uh, everybody who I'd worked with prior knew that I was out as well. But there's a big difference between being out <laughs> privately and somewhat publicly and then going on, as we call it, the flamethrower here in the Bay Area because literally on dark winter nights, you can hear the signal up in Oregon and Washington. You can hear it in Arizona. It is a massive AM signal. Um, there's a big difference between saying I'm gay there <laughs> and, and, you know, saying you're gay to a couple of family members uh, at that time in my life because I had been out for so many years. Um, so I think that if I hadn't come out so many times before, I don't know if I would have been able to handle the couple of weeks of social media explosion from me saying on air that I had a wife. Um, 
But I think, as you mentioned, the initial terror, right? Like that's the most scared I've ever been in my entire life was <laughs> before I told my parents that I was gay. Yeah. Um, I did that at the end of my junior year in college. So I was kind of a late bloomer. Um, but as hey, you and I were discussing- Earlier than me, Kate, earlier than me. Really? Yeah. Okay, we'll see. We're both old, Dan. I know the kids <laughs> these days, though. They're coming out at like 11 or 12. And I'm oh, thinking, God, oh, I know. I was having a conversation. It's- yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I was having a conversation with some friends about uh, a, a friend of uh, a friend of their family who was considering coming out in high school as sort of like a 16-year-old, which to me is, is remarkable and insane and completely yeah. unfathomable to me. But I think it speaks yeah. to the progress that we've been making, right, just as a society and, and as, uh, as a whole, that people do feel the freedom to be able to do that. And, you know, I think if you, you feel like you have the infrastructure there in order to do it and you have the right support group, uh, I think what a beautiful thing. But, yeah, God, when I was 16, can you imagine? I was like, no, thank you. It was, I uh, God, it, I, it took me another 10 years to tell everybody. <laughs> exactly. It was a slow process when we were coming out. So, but I think the fact that I had uh, five, six, seven years at that point. So my family knew, and and all of my friends knew, and as I said, my previous coworkers knew. I, I was married at that point, so I think I had so much support. And then also, I'm very aware of my privilege. Yes, I may be. Uh, a Jewish gay woman, which puts me, <laughs> that's a lot of strikes against me in some worlds, <laughs> but I'm also yeah. blonde and white and college educated. So I was very aware that like, I have two supportive parents, which very few of my friends even had at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a wonderful partner who is still my wonderful partner and <laughs> wife. Her family was completely supportive. So I had this base and this foundation and also just because of my background, I had other privileges that I could lean on. Um, so it was terrifying and a very overwhelming couple of weeks. But in the scheme of things, it was it was just another blip on the radar because in the end, so much of the feedback was positive uh, from listeners, even folks who weren't, uh, you know, weren't okay with a gay and may still not be okay with a gay. Um, I got num- uh, a number of emails and tweets from folks, maybe not at the time, because um, there was definitely blowback at, at the time, but the progress has been so exponentially quick, uh, especially in California since then, right. that a couple years later, people, you know, sending me notes, wow, you know, it, it totally overwhelmed me and freaked me out. And I don't know why you came out. I, it pissed me off that day. <laughs> but after listening to you for a couple of years and just hearing you talk about your wife and how you guys are super boring and sound just like me and my wife, and right. it, it's totally normalized it for me. So I thank you so much for doing that. And then also, obviously, from people who were either considering coming out or had kids who were coming out, so many people said that I helped just by, you know, taking that jump and being myself. So uh, that made it all worth it, even though it was a pretty scary, overwhelming couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about what you're what you're talking about now on the podcast sometimes, just in terms of I think the sports world being such a sort of attractive and, and interesting gateway for so many people to learn about the community. Because you know, I think, like you said, when you you know when you come out on air. I'm sure it shocked and upset some people, as you said, but then I don't want to say the mundaneness of, of 
coming to realize that, it's oh, true, she's, she's just like us. Like, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, I, I think that's so powerful. Yeah. And I think that it, it, there was a shift in me as well, um, because in college, I mean, I was at Cal from 01 to 05. And the first uh, same-sex marriages happened in 2004 when Gavin Newsom was um, the mayor of San Francisco. And Mm -hmm. then in 2008, again in San Francisco, that's when my wife Nicole and I got married. We were a part of that that group. Um, So to kind of be here where all of that's happening, I was very vocal and I was going to protests and going to rallies and, and posting all the time on Facebook. And then I don't know if it's just because I was getting older or because I realized, okay, that was important for me at that time because a lot of friends from high school were still following me on Facebook or, or friends with me on Facebook. Um, and I felt it very important that they, they saw what that was like because I'm from the Central Valley in California, which is a, a pretty conservative um, and pretty religious area of the state. So at that time, I kind of saw myself as, well, let me be a gateway to to show my friends and family who don't live here what's really going on because you only, you know, you only get the highlights or um, the stuff that wasn't really the main point of a rally or or a conversation because it's it's eye catching TV. So I was trying to provide that. And then once I got to KNBR and as I got a little older, um, I realized I, this is just me. I'm not you know I, I'm not a going to pride and wearing glitter and speedos and stuff type of person. <laughs> I <laughs> a lot of my friends are, and yeah. I think it's awesome. But I, I'm a boring gay. I'm a mundane gay. <laughs> uh, and I, so I think, it, it, as you mentioned, it's good. It, that was me then, and this is me now. And I, I think through that, it's allowed a lot of people, yeah, to kind of just sit back and observe without having it thrown in their face because they could have turned me off or stopped following me or whatever, whenever they wanted to. Um, and just by living my life, I, I think, at least according to notes and and emails and stuff I've gotten that it's been pretty helpful for some people. Yeah. I mean, did you feel pressure to be some kind of totem for the LGBTQ community in the sports world? Because, you know, it it really wasn't something you asked for, at least in that moment. Um, You know, I, I still certainly back then and even now, there really aren't that many figureheads for us on TV, in TV sports coverage. I mean, I remember when I was growing up as, you know, a young sports fan, um, and, and somebody with dreams of being sort of a sports journalist. I remember, <laughs> I remember Patrick Dempsey played a gay sports reporter on Willing Grace as like a oh get, like gosh. a guest starring role. And literally, Kate, it was the first time where I was like, oh, like maybe I could do this. Like, yeah. and that's like a it's it's a silly sitcom that gave me some sort of hope and motivation. And so. You know, what responsibility did you feel? Because, you know, it, like I said, it, it was so spur of the moment. And and not that anybody has any sort of responsibility to be anything other than what they are. But I'm sure you must have felt that a little bit, that all of a sudden, you know, you are one of the most prominent, if, if not, you know, the most prominent sort of out person in in sports media certainly in the region i mean was that something that that was a burden or did you sort of enjoy having that responsibility oh i've i've never seen it as a burden um i'm one of those people who anytime an athlete or an entertainer anyone in the public eye says oh i'm not a role model 
I just kind of roll my eyes because whether you want to be or not, people are now looking at you simply because you are in the public eye. It's that's what I tell people all the time. Uh, you know, when they want to ask about my job and they're so excited by it, I say it's just the same as your job. I just do mine in front of a camera or in front of a <laughs> microphone. So a lot of other people know what I'm doing, whereas what you did today was really exciting too. Anyway. Um, I take that responsibility extremely seriously and not because anyone told me to, uh, just because I want to, because as you mentioned, I have this incredible platform. There was no gay sportscasters when I was growing up, not to my knowledge, at least. And there's still not that many. Do I know a lot? Yes. But if I look at their social media accounts, if I call games with them and see how they interact with other people, they are still not out. Right, and that is totally right. fine because, as you know, everybody moves at their own pace. Everybody, at least in my opinion, can live however they want to live. So if they want to be very private, that whatever makes them comfortable. Yeah. But because I have this opportunity to be a positive influence and to, to show people <laughs> what at least a small snippet of the gay community is like, right? Because I can only be me. Yeah. Um, but – I feel the same way about being a woman. I feel the same way about being a Cal grad. I feel the same way about being someone from the Central Valley. Like I take such pride in all the different groups and people that that want to take pride in me, I guess you could say, um, because all of those experiences ha- have made me who I am and they're all a piece of me and, and just the same with, with being gay. So anytime I, I can speak about it, I do because it's just a part of my life. Um, and I think that as you mentioned, um, the more people, even if it's one young person, uh, one, as you mentioned, a lot of people our age are still coming out or even older because it wasn't okay when they were growing up, you know, there's people in their fifties and sixties who are still trying to figure things out. Yeah. Um, so if I can just be that one person for one person, that's, that is enough for me. So it is a responsibility that I take very seriously and I think about it all the time uh, when I'm speaking, uh, when I'm posting, uh, just the way I act. Like, how, how could this positively or ne- negatively impact people? And how can I positively impact people to the best of my ability? Well, I think that's what's so exciting about social media now. And, and we could get into an hours-long conversation about the, the perils and terror of social media as well. But I think it can <laughs> be such a powerful tool, tool for like young LGBTQ youth, because, you know, let's say I'm watching TV as, as a kid and I see a a broadcaster on TV and they're calling the game. I I probably have no way of knowing that they're gay. Right. Mm -hmm. I probably have no way of knowing unless that they, unless they say something and, and why would they in the midst of calling a game? But I might follow them on Twitter. I might follow them on Instagram. I might see that they have uh, a rainbow flag in their in their Twitter handle. I might see that they're at a pride parade. I think there are so many different ways now to influence the younger generation, which is so exciting. And I th- I think that's why somebody like you who who's takes the responsibility so seriously is so impactful and so important because you're getting younger people sooner. And I think that that's what's so exciting about where we are now. And again, 
the horrors of social media don't really need to be addressed. I, th- I, I think, you know, there's enough going on uh, for young gay people there. But I think if we can just continue making strides in the right direction and encourage people who are in the, the places of prominence to be so open and honest as a beacon for these younger people, I know what that would have done for me. I'm sure, you know, you can say the same about what it would have done for you as, as a young girl growing up. You know, I just commend you and, and urge people who are in your shoes to, to continue doing that because, you know, it, it, I it just I can't speak to, to how important I think all of that is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, obviously, 100 percent. And I've had one of the cool things, thanks to social media, because obviously I don't start off broadcast by saying, hi, I'm Kate Scott and I'm gay. Welcome to Cal. <laughs> maybe. Uh, have you ever considered that, though? Maybe maybe that'll be my first take on uh, Sunday. I'm calling some soccer down at Stanford. So maybe that's how I'll start. We'll probably have to do a take two. <laughs> but um, no, but I've had so many student athletes who uh, I've covered over the years follow me on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere. Um, and I don't post that often uh, about my wife, but from time to time, just because I do want people to know that I'm gay. Um, and uh, so I've had student athletes, you know, during shoot around, during practice, just all of a sudden come over and start a conversation with me. And sometimes they'll dive into it and just say, you know, hey, how long have you and your wife been married? Where'd you meet? And just start asking me 20 questions, which I love and yeah. it's great. Um, and sometimes it'll take a number of years, but then, you know, after I've known him for four years, senior season, they'll come over and say, hey, Kate, I wanted to introduce you to my girlfriend or my boyfriend. And that just that means so much to me, because obviously that means that they they think of me as a safe space. Um, and so, yeah, moments like that have been really cool. Thanks in part to social media. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take on the role of a college athlete here, but I do I do want to ask where where did you you uh, you and your wife meet? <laughs> oh, she hates this story, but it's oh, that means so I she, love it. <laughs> she can't get over it. Uh, we met at the Cat Club in San Francisco, which is a uh, a dance club, not always gay, just uh, okay. on two fr- two Friday nights a month when we were. Oh, in our young 20s, it, it used to be uh, a, a lesbian's night because, um, as you know, usually the stereotype is uh, us lesbians meet and then by the second date we have the U-Haul and we have three cats and <laughs> I mean, we're married and I nobody ever want, sees I, us yet. I didn't want to say, Kate, you did get married pretty young, but you did get married pretty young. <laughs> I did get married pretty young, but Nicole is four years older than me. So okay. when, when you find the person that you want to be with and you find someone as great as the woman I found, you better lock it down. You know what I'm saying? Well, I can only if, imagine, too. I mean, for somebody who has been so career focused and works so many crazy hours and does so much different stuff and your schedule is so maniacal, I can only imagine that having <laughs> that sort of that that rock at home is is crucial. Oh, it's um, I'm so lucky. And uh it's because of my schedule. It has been anything but easy. Um, yeah, we've been together now almost 14 years, I think. Wow, congratulations. And we celebrated 11 years of marriage back in June. I know, which is crazy. Um, but we had we had been actually together uh, in a very anti-lesbian way. We waited three years to get married. I and mean... I, did, I did wait, uh, I think, about six months to move in with her, <laughs> even though there was an invite after like a month. Um <laughs> I, her, admi- I listen. I admire that, in and wouldn't allow that, and it was hilarious. And yeah, when but. you know, you know. I I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. We totally knew. So I was I was I think twenty five, and she was twenty nine. But but as you mentioned, it is San Francisco young because everything happens later here in the Bay Area. That yeah. was late for where I grew up. Um, but it has been 
so nice because that's one of the struggles, gay and straight, that a lot of my friends and coworkers in this industry, as I'm sure you know, experience that because we have such wonky schedules, we're working nights and weekends and holidays, and there's absolutely no routine to our lives whatsoever, that dating can be really hard and finding your person can be really hard because of that. And also, I know a lot of women in this industry, um, particularly straight women, have struggled to find a guy who's okay with them being, you know, front and center on TV and being somebody that a lot of people like and a lot of people follow on social media. And how do you deal with your wife or your partner being so successful and so popular? So there's so many different layers to it. Yeah. Um, so that is a long way of saying yes. I thank my lucky stars all the time that I have an understanding spouse and a supportive spouse and also a spouse who doesn't give a rip about what I do. That is <laughs> so good. Did, did, did I, she, she like, is she a sports she's fan? She's a sports fan, but okay. there will be a couple weeks ago. She's like, Oh, how did your volleyball match go today? Actually, I was calling soccer today. <laughs> oh, right. Is basketball next week? No, basketball is actually not till December. Oh, right. Okay. Well, what, what are we having for dinner? So it's, <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. It's, it's a good way to stay humble. That's she cares, sure. but not too much. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, speaking of, I, I love how much you love college sports. And I, I am the same way. I went to I went to Michigan State. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, thank God it's basketball season is all I can say. Um, but, you know, uh, a, a great sports school and, and a, a sports fanatic school. And it was it was wonderful. I worked for the athletic department for three years when I was there. But I, I can't imagine a college experience that didn't involve a university that wasn't crazy about sports. And I know that you feel the same way about Cal. It, it has to be so exciting for you now to to, you know, sort of be back in this world at Pac-12 Network. I mean, why do you love college sports so much? Yeah, it is. It's wild. And that was a big thing that I looked for in a college because I knew if I wanted to go to a broadcast specific school in California, there's San Francisco state, um, there was San Diego state, but most of the others are out of state, right? You hear about Florida, you hear about Syracuse. Um, but I made the choice that I wanted to be in California and I wanted to go to a school, even if it was going to be harder because they didn't have a broadcast specific school, um, that had a big football team and a big basketball team and could have that collegiate sports experience. Even if they weren't that good when I arrived, <laughs> I was there during a great time. Um, but I love college because it's it's still somewhat raw, as you know. I yeah. mean, pro sports are obviously the best when it comes to the athletes at their specific sports. But there's still, from time to time, um, an innocence to, to collegiate student athletes. And there's so much more to them because they're not professionals yet. So I love learning the stories about what they are actually studying in school, right. how, how important it is to their family that they were able to get the scholarship because they might be the first in their family to even go to college. And if it wasn't because of their sport, then they wouldn't have been able to go. I love those stories. I love, I love college rivalries. I mean, there's nothing like it. Yes. The Giants and Dodgers hate each other and the Yankees and Red Sox. And we, yes, I know professional rivalries exist, but there's just something different about collegiate rivalries where, oh, totally. you know, you just throw out the record books and because it is college and because they're not pros yet, there is the chance that the number nothing team in the nation could knock off the number two team in the nation because they've got eight seniors on their team and they're pissed off that they haven't beaten that team yet in their college careers. And they just tell each other before the match, like, fuck it, let's, let's go just, Let's fuck shit up. Let's win this game. I and love then it. I know. Do, right? And it's just, I, I, 
haven't found a good way to describe it, but there's just something different about covering college sports that I love. And they still aren't as media savvy. So you get awesome interviews sometimes. And the same thing (laughs) even goes for coaches. Um, And the access is so much more than it is at the professional level. So I, I, and the fact that I get to work for the conference that I went to school in and have known and have felt as a part of my life for so many years now, I mean, it's just uh, not a day goes by that I don't feel very grateful that I get to, to cover the student athletes that I do to get to work for the Pac-12. It, I know it's not going to last forever, but it is an awesome gig right now. Well, let's talk about the transition to Pac-12 because you've been there for what, like four years now? Uh, yeah, this is the start of my fifth. Yeah, start of the fifth. So, I mean, when you when you when you started there. Uh, I, I imagine it was pretty terrifying because you're coming from this dream job of sorts to come to this network that's uh, newer, obviously, and 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 sort of uh, you know has less of a I, I guess reputation or, or sort of history, but it's 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 fresh, it's exciting, and and nobody quite really knows what it's going to look like on a day to day basis. But I, I imagine that was was terrifying, but but you know tremendously exciting, but. You know, what sort of a scary leap was that to take into the unknown? Yeah, it was <laughs> it was definitely jumping off the deep end into a pool that you cannot see the bottom of, yeah. um, which is terrifying at any point. But especially as we've discussed, when you're married and you have a partner and you're living in San Francisco and you've got bills to pay. And all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, you're jumping away from a full time job with benefits to I'm an independent contractor at the Pac-12, so uh-huh. my health care, everything I pay for out of pocket, um, and this is getting way too inside things, but <laughs> I, have pay, I have to pay estimated taxes, which are a ton each quarter, oh, so yeah. um, there, there's all these different layers to it, and as you mentioned, like I was stepping away from what a lot of people would consider a dream job, and it took me a long time. I, I mean, for the first year and a half that I worked at the Pac-12, I was still working at KNBR because it was so hard to let go um, because it was such a great job. But I knew that I wanted more. Um, I knew that, you know, my radio, I'm put. <laughs> this makes for a great podcast right now. I'm putting my hand up pretty high. Uh, <laughs> my radio was way up here, whereas my TV sports were down lower. And I needed, if I wanted to get better and get my television uh, just skills up to the level of my radio skills, I knew that I couldn't try to do it 50-50 anymore or 75-25. I needed to go 100% in on television. And mm-hmm. that would obviously mean stepping away from, from KNBR. So it was very difficult. Um, and Nicole was scared not only because of the money stuff and because of the lack of security, she was scared that I got to be pretty well known with KNBR in the Bay area. Um, and that was a conversation we had, like, how are you going to deal with people not tweeting you all day and every day anymore? Like, I think you get a lot of joy out of that. How are you going to deal with people not recognizing you anymore? And I, I said, I so pre- this is one of the reasons I married at you because you're such a good reflection of how things could be. And we discussed it, but I told her I do love that. And it, I, I'm sure I will miss it, but that's not why I do what I do. And I'm hopeful that in the future, I'll find either some of the same audience or a new audience to get to have those conversations with again. Um, and that's what it's been at the Pac-12. And as all risks tend to go, Dan. Uh, it was scary and terrifying, um, but it has turned out to be such a fantastic choice. And the people I'm working with now, 
um, are, are people for the first time. And I've worked a ton of jobs. <laughs> I've worked for every sports team in the Bay Area. I've worked for almost every station in the Bay Area. Um, and these are these are people that are going to be my friends for life um, because we just I don't know if it was because of the risk that all of us took, you know, coming right. from all over the country. Um, you know, Mike Yam, who's our lead male anchor, came from ESPN. Ashley Adamson had a great gig in Indianapolis. You know, she discovered Butler's final four runs um, and both of them are taking leaps and coming to this unknown so I, th- I think some of the risk that we all took is tied in there. And then also just our fanatical love of college sports and getting to help tell these student athlete stories. So it's uh, risks are worth taking. If you can get over that terrifying hurdle of should I take this risk? Well, if, if, <laughs> that's not, yeah, if that's not a lesson for all of us, I mean, w- working with people that you like and love and respect is just because I've done both. Right. As you have, yeah. I, I work with people who. I look forward to seeing when I get to work and those people are still my friends to this day. And I have, I've worked jobs where I dread having to see people and it's, yep. it, it is remarkable what that will do for your, not only your performance at work, but just your mental health and your stability as a human being. I mean, cultivating a great work community and environment is just like, Oh, it's so important. And if, you know, I just urge everybody to, to find that if they can, because uh, it just makes your life so much sweeter. Exactly. Or be aware of the fact that you're in it, right? I mean, that's right. something yes. that I talk about with my coworkers right now is that we know this isn't going to last forever. We know we all have bigger goals and dreams. So let's take advantage of each we get to work our asses off with each other and do the best job we can right now for our audience, for the teams that we cover, because yeah, in a couple years, we could be working with people we don't like. So, so let's have as much fun right now as we can. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I want to ask you about something and this is going to be sort of a weird tangent, but I, I recently learned that you have done PA announcing for the PAC 12 title game at Levi stadium, which is, <laughs> which is something that I did not know was on my bucket list until I heard you talk about it. Oh my goodness. Well then, if you want to if you want to come up to the Bay Area in a couple weeks, guess who's getting ready to do it again? Oh um, god, I'm, I know. It's I'll that be starting on my boards in a couple weeks. It's that time of year. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So must- you you the, have an interest in PA announcing, huh? I, You've got you know a good what? Voice. In t- in, well, no, I don't think I do, but <laughs> I You do. You oh, do. thank you. That means a lot to me. I, uh, I, I didn't think I did until I heard you talk about it. And then I, <laughs> I, I thought that sounds like the most powerful job in the world. Oh, it's scary too. And I don't know why I agreed to do it. Cause it's the only time I do it all season long. Right. But, um, <laughs> but it is really cool. I mean, that's one of the, the multiple things I love about working for the PAC 12. Um, Jamie coffee is a friend of mine and she's a fantastic uh, PA announcer. She does our men's and women's basketball tournaments in Vegas. Um, and I'm, I'm hopefully working her up to, to taking this gig from me when, uh, our PAC 12 champ game moves to Vegas last year as well. But football play or football PA is something totally different because you really got to know how to call football. Cause it's kind of like play by play announcing because right. you're call, you're calling literally everything, right? First down Oregon from their own 22 yard line. <laughs> and you wait, then you wait and then it's Herbert connects with Juwan Johnson, 12 yard pickup, ah! sets up their first down from, so, you know, it's like, you're very much calling the game. You may not be using as much detail and obviously you're not doing the storytelling, but 
You got to get it right. You only get one chance. You're on a stadium-wide microphone that not only goes throughout all of Levi's Stadium, but it also goes over the TV broadcast. It's always funny. So I always get so many texts that night from friends from high school all over. Oh, my gosh. Is that you? I hear you on the broadcast. Are you doing PA for the stadium? Um, So it's another another scary gig, but it's – I think we're kind of sensing a theme at this point, right? I was oh. going to say, I mean, the scarier, the better. In, do it. But it, yeah, so the Pac-12 is all about kind of doing something different, right? And uh, I, I don't know of many, if any other, football PA announcers. Um, so, you know, like Rennell at the Giants and Jamie doing our hoops tournaments and stuff. Why, why not get a uh, female doing a, a, a Pac-12 champ game, too? I Just love kind it. Of it's a part of our signature, trying to make things a little bit different than you might hear at other championship games. I know. Games. I can't. I have extra incentive to listen now. I can't wait. That that sort of reminds me. This is on a much smaller scale, but it's something. If I think about, I literally just start shivering from embarrassment again. This is like when I was back in college. Uh, I was working Michigan State football game for Big Ten Network, and I was like a first down spotter for them for the game, which is a pretty easy job you know you're just like on headset and you're saying you know to the to the you know to the truck all right balls on the 22 first downs at the 32 and that's literally all still important still important still important but you do it you know you you do it all game and it it rarely becomes difficult because it's you you know more often than not it's it's a pretty you know whatever it's it's pretty easy but i remember i got uh at one point I said, all right, uh, balls on the 44, first down is at the 54, because that's where it gets confusing when you're at midfield, obviously. You have to, like, do a little bit of mental gymnastics, and I will never forget, in my ear, I just heard there was silence for a second, and someone goes, did you just say the 54? (laughs) And I was like, oh, God. See, that's when you're glad that you were just talking to the truck. That's what I'm saying. It's the same thing. And I couldn't do it. Uh, And this is a part of television and and PA announcing that you know. I have a spotter, Dale, who was this awesome uh, older gentleman who does the spotting for the 49ers throughout the year. And we've now worked together for, I guess this is either third or fourth champ game. I don't know. But but he is the one who's literally telling me everything because there's so much going on that I wouldn't be able to do all of it. I usually keep my we, – we split up the duty. So I tell him, okay, I'm going to keep my eye on the offensive guy who makes the play, and I will try my best to get the defender who makes the tackle or makes the initial contact. But yeah. I'm going to need you to get down in distance for me. So he does that, and he's right next to me, and I have my hand on the on-off button and the mic. So we confirm real quick who made the play, and then he'll say – gain a three, second and seven from this yard line, and then boom, I'll turn the mic on. And that's the thing with how fast college football moves these days. Like, you got to be fast because you got to be off the mic before the next play happens. So right. uh, it's a crazy three and a half hours, uh, and it's especially crazy because I only do it once a year. But it's really <laughs> exhilarating and fun, too. And we should have a really great game this year, knock on wood. I so know, I know, I know. That's excited. very exciting. Um, all right, so w- with how busy you are, uh, I do have to ask, with the little free time that you have, what do you do do you just come home and completely just veg out what are what are your hobbies when you get to to shut everything off for for just a little bit oh i wish i got to do that Um, (laughs) there's always something that comes up dan i was supposed to get to do that this week um because this was supposed to be the first week i think almost all season that i didn't have a game to call this weekend so i'm anchoring our our sports center show pac-12 playlist on thursday and friday of this week but there's a huge difference when it comes to prep uh, 
for anchoring versus calling games, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at my schedule thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have two straight days, Monday and Tuesday, to actually do nothing. So one day, like normal adults, we'll be running errands, going grocery shopping, dry cleaning and all that. But I might just get to sit on my butt for a whole day oh. and catch up on the four Grey's Anatomies I haven't watched and the two <laughs> This Is Us's and I'll get to catch up on all the Pac-12 shows that I recorded but haven't been able to watch yet from over the weekend to see everything I really need to know about all of our teams that are competing right now. And then I got an email on Monday afternoon <laughs> from my boss saying, hey, do you have any interest in calling a soccer double header at Stanford this weekend? <laughs> and my first reaction was, no! Yeah. <laughs> but then my next reaction was, oh, yeah, it's going to be the third round of the NCAA tournament, and I'll get to call the Stanford women, who have a very good chance to win another national title this year, and the Stanford men, who also have a very good chance to win a national championship. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but that has thrown my whole week for a loop. But to answer your question... I don't get much free time until the Pac-12, the college season is over. So kind of like June is the one month that we usually have before July hits and then football training camps start up and we got to start paying real close attention again. But uh, about six months ago at the end of my last season, at the end of May of this year, uh, my wife and I adopted our first dog. Because <gasps> oh, that's right. Oh, let, yeah, and you've told me a little bit about this dog, and you, you, Kate, warned me before <laughs> we started that I might hear uh, Piper, the dog, barking. Uh, I, I'm knock on wood, Kate. I have not heard such barking no, yet. Knock on wood, because literally, as you, as we were like texting each other right before we started talking, she was just at the front door. Barking at the Amazon man, saying, I don't know what you're doing here. I know my ladies might have ordered a package, but you need to back off. Just drop the package and go. So I was thinking that that was going to be most of uh, the podcast. But wow. she How is considerate of Piper. Laying in her bed right beside me. She keeps me company in the office with a little blanket over her head right now. She's snoring away. But What kind um, of dog is Piper? Piper is uh, a recently six-year-old, 60-pound pit bull. Oh, I love which, that. Which now, in retrospect, six months after we got her, maybe not the best and easiest first dog that either <laughs> of us have ever owned to adopt. Yeah, maybe not. But retrospect is you know, one thing and reality is another. Sure. But she is an absolute love. And the reason that I brought her up and the reason we got her was because... Uh, both of us are workaholics, so we wanted something, and we were always <laughs> – this is taking people inside our lives, and I probably shouldn't. We were always <laughs> complaining about how coworkers would leave work early because they had to pick their kid up or, oh, nobody could watch their dog. Well, f figure out a freaking dog sitter or get someone <laughs> to walk your dog, you know? Right. So this, has been, this has been great perspective that life is not that easy, Kate and Nicole. Um, <laughs> so we wanted something that would make us work a little less, that would get us outside more because that's one of the things now working from home most of the time because I'm here prepping from, you know, I wake up usually in the six o'clock hour and can be prepping from 6.30 to 6.30 if, if there was nothing to get me outside. But now, thanks to Piper, uh, got to go outside at least three times a day to take care of our business. See, there um, you go. And, and play and stuff. So that is kind of my uh, extracurricular activity right now because she, these are all things I've learned since we adopted her. She is still dog aggressive. So she's <laughs> lovely with humans. But because she was uh, on the street for a little while before she got picked up by the SPCA, she uh, still has a little trouble when we see other dogs. So we're, we're working on that with a trainer. Okay. Um, but I'm very proud of the progress. It's amazing what love can do. Like I'm telling you. 
there was so much barking. She wasn't sleeping through the night. All the stuff you hear about kids and stuff. Um, and she, we would see another dog from 75 feet away, and she'd be barking and lunging and freaking out. That was six months ago. Now, sleeping through the night. She's right next to me right now, snoring her head off. She wow. really only barks when some – and she can – Oh, it's strange how she can already recognize friends coming to the door versus people we don't know. Right. Because uh, that reaction's totally different. And uh, yeah, now we're walking within 10 feet of dogs. We've sniffed a couple of tushes. Like, I am a proud mom when it comes to, be, <laughs> to being a dog owner. And, and one of these days, Dan, we're going to make an actual friend. So that's, Oh, uh, God, it's so beautiful. My heart is fluttering just thinking about this. Extracurricular activity now, and I love it. She's, she's a lot, but uh, it's given me great perspective when it comes to actual human children. I, and, God. Uh, just kind of life in general. It's been good to care and love what you do, but also to have something else to worry about. Oh, it's the best. Having a dog at home is, is, is wonderful. But so much work, like you said. Good, uh, good prep for the future or whatever. Um, so <laughs> no, this will be it. And Nicole, <laughs> Nicole's already said multiple times, like this might even be our only dog. Like we're not having kids, but maybe this, maybe Piper will be it. And I laugh and I say, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, uh huh. Just yeah. the same way that you didn't think she was going to get up on the couch, and now every right. night, oh, I know, I know. Famous <laughs> last words: This will be our only dog. I've heard, I've heard that before. Exactly. So to wrap up here, I, I want to ask you uh, a question that is maybe a little broad, but I, I think you you might have some insight into it. You know, looking forward, when you when you look ahead and and not even necessarily in your career specifically necessarily, but what do you see as as sort of the biggest challenges and biggest opportunities facing the LGBTQ community when it comes to sports? What do you what progress would you like to be seen made, whether that's from a journalistic perspective or or on the field or, or on the court or what have you? Um, you know, what progress do you hope to see made in the next five, ten years that maybe you aren't seeing right now? Mm, great question. Well, I think the two are probably interrelated. Um, I would love to see the people on my side of the camera and pens and papers and all those things, microphones, um, no longer have to cover coming out stories because athletes and coaches and referees and, and people associated with athletics on the other side of the camera and microphone have come out and mm -hmm. feel comfortable and it's not a big thing because it's not one football player every five years it's oh yeah we we know 10 guys right now in the nfc who are out and we know three guys in the afc who are bi and seven more who are gay and two are married and you know like that that is my hope um for the next five to ten years um and i don't know if it'll happen but i think that all we can do is continue to to be ourselves and I'm going to keep living the life that I am and being out on social media and, and being out in my conversations with people and hopefully others will, who feel comfortable doing that will do the same. Um, because I would love to see that as kind of the next step because I understand people who are already asking that question. Why is this still a big deal? Why is people being gay still, still an issue and something worth writing about? And I kind of usually just reflect to them. Well, how many people in this sport are out out of the hundreds of thousands who are playing it? Let's count right now how many you know that are gay. And so let's talk about why it still matters. Um, so that's what I would like to see next. And I'm hoping that somehow I get to play a small role in, in helping 
make that happen. Well, I think you already are. And I, I commend you for everything that you're doing. And it's it, it's been an honor to chat with you. I, you know, I, I think because of people like you, I, I am very optimistic about everything that you just said coming true. So uh, so thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me. And uh, like I said, I, I can't wait to see where your career is going to go, because I, I know that uh, sky is the limit. And I, I can't wait to say that I had the opportunity to chat with you. And, uh, you know, this has been an honor. Thank you so much for the time. This has been a joy and a pleasure. So thanks for everything you're doing, because you are helping too. So hopefully this is just the first of many times you and I touch base. Everybody, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Kate for her time. She is so wise and so funny and so great. It was just really, really wonderful to get the chance to chat with her. So thank you again to her for her time. And and thank you. You know, if this is Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving Eve, whatever, enjoy time with your family or 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 don't. Whatever makes you happier, you know? Thank you very much for listening. It's it's been wonderful. Until next time, my name is Daniel Trainer. This has been Same Team. I am now signing off. Bye.